Welcome to Mission View. My name is Matt. I'm the uh, lead pastor here at Mission View Church. If this is your first time here with us, so glad you're worshiping with us this morning. Uh, we've been in a sermon series in the book of Jonah, and we're going to be finishing that up today. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open up to uh, Jonah chapter 4. If you're new to the Bible, Jonah is a little past halfway in your Bible, so you can turn and try and find it that way. It's a really short book. It's four short chapters, an amazing story, but sometimes it's hard to find in there. It's a sneaky, sneaky short book there. All right. Before we uh, jump into the sermon today and our scripture for today, um, we did take a vote. Um, on uh, the facility that we've been looking at. Um, I figured I'd get this out of the way so you're not sitting out there the entire sermon wondering what the uh, overall vote was. It was 100% in favor of buying the building. So, yeah. Right. So now we got some work ahead of us, right? And, um, man, that's, that's really exciting. Um, wow. So, man, this time next year we could be in a new facility. Yeah, yeah. But you know what? Um, with, this in, with that in mind, uh, us moving forward and doing what God's called us to do, uh, there's, there's one thing I really want us to remember. Mission View will never be about a building. A building is just a tool that God may allow us to have in order to further his kingdom and further his mission. And Mission View is always about the glory of God, the gospel of Jesus for the lost. And this building would just be a tool to expand his kingdom and reach 200,000 people that have no idea who Jesus is. They're out wondering and lost. And these people are your co-workers. They're your neighbors. They're your family members. It is on us to share the good news of Jesus Christ. And so as we're excited about this building, I want us to be more excited about what this building is going to allow us to do. It's going to be a ministry hub, a ministry base where we go out. And um, I just want us to keep that in mind. We are Mission View Church. We want to stay mission-minded, and we're about the lost. We're about glorifying God and seeing His kingdom expanded. So let's just pray uh, before we jump into today's sermon. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank You for this opportunity that You put before us with this building. God, I pray that You would help us stay focused on You. God, that we wouldn't become about a building, but we would stay focused on the job that You set before us. God, that we would be a kingdom-minded people, a gospel-inspired people, that as we leave uh, this place or any facility, that our lives would be a reflection of the glory of God, the work of God in sanctification, the work of God in salvation, that our lives would be something that people see and that they would see you, Father. God, I pray that you would give us hearts like yours, that our hearts would break for the things that break yours. God, give us feet to go out and give us the words to share that we would be your people, that we would be a light in darkness. Come and do it. Only you can, Father. We surrender to you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, the story of Jonah. This is a great story. Like I said, it's a, just four short chapters. It's about a prophet named Jonah. It's, it's a little different as far as the prophets go. Most of the time uh, when you read a prophet in the Old Testament, 
you're reading about his message, right? It's usually about like what God tells him to say, what it means for the people, and, and it's, it's usually based around um, the message. Jonah's completely different. Uh, the prophet Jonah in the book where we've been working through is all about Jonah uh, and not so much what he had to share with the people of Nineveh, although that's very important and very powerful as well. But as we look at this story, it's really kind of this interaction, this continual interaction that Jonah has with God. God comes to Jonah. It's, it's neat that, that Jonah starts with the word of God and ends with God speaking. It starts with God speaking and ends with God speaking. It starts with God coming to Jonah and saying, hey, you need to go to Nineveh and, and share that I am going to destroy them if they don't repent. Their evilness has come up before me, right? Well, Jonah despised the people of Nineveh. And we found out as we did some historical study that, that the people of Nineveh had tried to wipe the Israelites, Jonah's people, off the face of the earth three times. And we read about the atrocities that, that the, the Ninevites did. They were a warring people and they did unspeakable things, things that I couldn't even share with you, to the people they tried to destroy. Now I'm, I'm going to just reflect on this a little bit and, and maybe just put my note here that maybe, just maybe, Jonah witnessed some of those horrific atrocities firsthand. Knowing at the time that Jonah was alive was around one of those times that uh, they, were try they tried to wipe those, the Israelites off the face of the earth. Jonah could have witnessed firsthand, maybe even his family members being murdered and mutilated by these people. So Jonah wanted to have nothing to do with it. The word of the Lord comes to Jonah, and Jonah runs for the hills. Actually, he runs for Tarshish. And he, he gets on a boat, and they, he's going out, he's going to Tarshish, and God brings up a huge storm, and this huge storm is tossing this ship around, and, and the ship is about to be destroyed in this massive storm. And the, the mariners uh, on the ship are, are running around going, what are we going to do? They're throwing cargo off the ship to try and save themselves. And, and they're going, what is this all about? Who did this? And, and they go down to the bottom of the boat, and Jonah's down there sleeping. And they're like, what are you doing? Don't you know we're about to die here? Come up here. we got to, you know, make a way for us to survive this. And they, they kind of do this thing. They draw straws to see who this is really on. And it comes out that it's on Jonah. And they say, what have you done? We knew that you told us that you, you were running from your God. But who is this God that you serve, you know? And he says, well, I serve the God that created the sea and the land. I serve the God above all gods. And they're like, what have you done? You know, and, and, and they actually, he says, throw me overboard. And he, they actually try and work it out so they don't have to throw, me, throw him overboard. But they do. And uh, they're like, God, this, you know, don't hold this against us. We're doing your will as we throw him over. And they throw Jonah into the water. And God calls up this great fish to swallow Jonah, and he's in the belly of this fish for three days and three nights. We talked about how that was kind of a picture of, of Christ coming, the three days and three nights, and, and how God miraculously works this beautiful picture of the gospel of, of Christ's sacrifice for you and me, that, that Christ was in the grave three days and three nights. Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. And, you know, we said, man, could have God just gave him a log, you know? <laughs> Did, did Jaws really have to swallow Jonah, you know? But, but God, in his sovereignty, works this amazing picture for, for you and me to look back and see this picture of what Christ would do for you and me three days and three nights in the grave. 
Well, uh, Jonah looks like as if he repents, right? He's in the belly of this fish, and he, he prays this beautiful prayer, and it's almost like this, this prayer of repentance, and it's really nice. And uh, he says he will do, he says he'll be obedient. He'll do what God has told him to do. So, so God tells the fish is to spit him out or vomit him out um, up onto dry land, and the fish does. And um, Jonah is obedient, sort of, right? So, so Adam shared that, that Jonah goes to Nineveh and he shares this five-word sermon, right? Now, I don't know if you know this, but preachers can be somewhat long, long-winded. Anybody know that? Right, right. We, we tend to just, you know, go on and on, right? Prophets were kind of the same way. They would, I mean, when God told them to go and speak, they would go to the middle of that town and they would get up on a pedestal and they would just speak the word of the Lord. Thus saith the Lord. And they would go on and on and on and on. If you read through the prophets, they, they would share the word of the Lord. Jonah says five words. So you, you see even in the repentance, the obedience, just this reluctance uh, or, or half-hearted obedience to share the word of the Lord with five words. Basically, it's like God's going to destroy you unless you turn from your sins. God's going to destroy Nineveh unless you repent. Well, he says this, and all of Nineveh repents. Now, there's a really cool thing that Adam pointed out last week is that God's word is powerful. God's word is powerful. And it's so neat to see that in his lackluster obedience, in his just reluctancy to share the truth, that God in power moves on the hearts of the people of Nineveh. This wicked, horrible people that did unspeakable things to the people they conquered and maimed and killed, that God, God's word didn't come back void. That even though Jonah was so reluctant, God worked his will in the hearts of the people of Nineveh. And you see this beautiful repentance all the way up. I mean, it says that the king repented all the way down to the cattle. Whatever, you know, have you ever seen cattle repent? Right? I mean, you see this amazing work of the power of God. It wasn't the five words that Jonah shared. It was the very power of God's word. And I don't know about you, but as Adam was sharing that, I was so encouraged because there's people I've been sharing the word of the Lord with that don't know Jesus. They haven't met Jesus yet. And, and as I share with them, I'm just like, God, is this doing anything? You know, I, I, want, I want them to know you, Lord. I want them to have this experience and relationship with you, God. Are, are you going to do it? I mean, is this going to happen? I mean, for years, Lord, I've been sharing this. And I see this, this amazing work of God for this wicked people. You know, and I'm just so encouraged. I hope that you are encouraged, that, that, that you're inspired to share the good news of Jesus Christ with those people that, that maybe you feel you're not making an inroad to. I want you to know God's word is powerful. And if we obey, God's going to do something. We, we may never see it, but God will do something. And I was just so encouraged by that. This week in chapter 4, man, we, we really get an insight into who Jonah really is. I mean, this guy was on the struggle bus in the biggest way with the people of Nineveh. And, um, well, let's just go into God's Word. Let's read it and see it. See here, chapter 4, 
verse 1, but it displeased Jonah. <laughs> okay, this is so hilarious. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly. But I, let's just back up real quick because I think this is really important to point out. Verse 10 of chapter 3 goes like this. When God, when God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil ways, God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them, and he did not do it. You can see God is pleased. He's relenting from this disaster that he said he would do. You can see that God is pleased that they turned from their wicked ways. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly. It's kind of important to point out. Have you, ever, have you ever been going through life and you're like seeing something and you're just like, this isn't really good. This isn't working out. Maybe, maybe you, you've prayed for, here, let me say it this way. Maybe you've prayed for something for a really long time. And I mean, you're, you've fasted, you've prayed, you've shared it with your community group. I mean, you've shared it with your parents. You've shared it with your best friends. You got to pray with me for this. Pray, I really need this new job. Pray with me. We're going to go for this. I, I really, I hope God has this for me. And you get that new job and you're like, yes. And then six months down the road, you're like, no. What was I thinking? This is the worst job ever. Why didn't I just stay where I was? Have you ever like really wanted something only to find out that that's the worst possible case scenario? Right? It's like, it's just that, that kind of feel. Jonah was, it was displeased exceedingly. He was angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, Oh Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? This is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. For I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. If you, if you make notes in your Bible, you like to underline and highlight things, highlight and underline and exclamation point and put a star beside this. I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. We're going to come back to that and talk about that in just a minute. Therefore, now, O Lord, please take my life from me. Now, Jonah says that phrase more than once. For it is better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, do you do well to be angry? Jonah went out of the city and sat to the east of the city and made a booth for himself there. He sat under, under it in the shade till, till he should see what would become of the city. Now the Lord God appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah, that it might be a shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad. Might be bipolar, Jonah the bipolar's prophet, <laughs> because of the plant. But when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind. And the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And he asked that he might die. There it is again. It is better for me to die than to live. But God said, Jonah, do you do well to be angry for the plant? And he said, yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. Man, you can almost hear him shaking his fist at the Lord with that, can't you? And the Lord said, You pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. And should not I pity Nineveh, 
that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left, and even the cattle? All right, that's God's word for us today. The first thing I want us to really wrap our minds around, and I think this is a, I don't know if it's the key part of this passage or even all of the book of Jonah, but I think it's really, really, really important for us. And it's that part I had you highlight, underline. And it's the first fill in in your notes today. It's this, the Lord is gracious, merciful, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. All right. I don't know if you know this or not, but this is really, really good news. God's mercy on this amazingly wicked people is something we can hold on to, something we can trust in, and something that will be an amazing gift to our soul as we walk out this journey with the person of Jesus Christ. And we're in this relationship with a perfect, amazing God. We shouldn't be surprised by the mercies of God, right? Because we know that God is merciful. We know that God is loving. And all these things that Jonah says, we know that about God. We shouldn't be surprised. But I want to say this. We should be totally and utterly shocked by the mercy and grace of God. Right? We know who he says he is. We know who he is. We know how we've experienced his grace in our lives, his forgiveness for us. So we shouldn't be surprised. But I want you to know, we should be completely shocked by the mercy and grace of God. I don't know about you, but as I look at my life and I look at the things that I've done, I think about the things in my life, in my past, before I knew the Lord. I see the thoughts in, in my wicked heart and in my mind. And I can't imagine that God could ever forgive me for those things. There's the reality of this Nineveh people, this wicked, horrible people. And then there's a reality of Matt before Christ came into his life and, and the wickedness and the sin that was in me. The Bible says that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for you and me. There is a grace and mercy that should be so shocking to us. It should just turn our heads, turn us around. We should be completely shocked by the amazing mercies and grace of God in the person of Jesus Christ. This is who God is. This merciful, steadfast love, slow to anger. He's not sitting up in heaven just waiting for you to make a mistake so that he can rain down hellfire and brimstone. No, he is waiting for just the right moment, the perfect time to reveal who he is and change us forever. It was just the right time for the people of Nineveh. It was just the perfect moment when God came into your life and revealed who he was, revealed who we are, and did that amazing work of salvation in our lives. If you already know him, he has destined you to grow. And in just the right moment and in his perfect timing, he's going to bring you closer and continue his amazing work of sanctification. If you don't know him yet, at the perfect moment, 
He is going to open your eyes to the grace and mercy that he has for you in the person of Jesus Christ. He'll, he'll say something like this. There, there was a time in your life where you were just doing your own thing, living for yourself, you know, that, that, that self-centered, just going for, looking out for number one. And there's, there's things that you may have thought or things that you have done that, that are un, unthinkable, sinful things. He wants you to know that even in that brokenness, even in that sin, he sent his only son, Jesus Christ, to die for those things and for you. He loves you so much that Jesus, his only son, he sent him to die for you in that moment. And Jesus didn't only die for our sins, but he lived a perfect life and never sinned in thought or deed. And then, after three years of marvelous ministry, of healings and preaching the good news and the hope that he is to humanity, his own creation murdered him. At any moment in that suffering, at any moment in that betrayal, at any moment in that sick, unlawful crucifixion, he could have just snapped his fingers or even just thought, I'm starting over, and humanity would have ceased to exist. But he didn't. He took the punishment for sin for me and for you. And in so doing, he made a way for us. He made a way for us to be in relationship with our Creator again. What sin had broken... What sin had just torn apart, God put together by the power of his son in that moment for me and you. And now, as we walk around this earth before Christ comes into our life with this weight of sin and guilt and shame, Jesus, when we put our trust in him, takes all of that away. And we have this amazing thing called the journey of Christianity in relationship with our creator. That's the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ. If you don't know him, put your trust in Jesus today. It will be the best decision you've ever made. Now, as we're looking at these words, this gracious, merciful, slow to anger, as we look at these words, let's think about what these words actually mean. What does it mean to be gracious? I really... I really want us to wrap our minds around this. I, I think it's so important that we, we spend some time here and really let this sink into our hearts and into our minds. The, the Greek word used for mercy is most often elios. And it, it's, it's this pity or compassion. And for grace, it is charis or favor. Now, now, mercy and grace get thrown around so often, not just in Scripture, but from pulpits and in and worship songs and different things. And they are different words, but have so many, so many similar meanings. And, and I like to look at them as a two-sided coin. It's one coin with two sides. I love how Wilmington's Guide to the Bible kind of differentiates these two. It, says, it said it this way. I love how it says, it says, Mercy is the act of withholding deserved punishment, while grace is the act of endowing unmerited favor. In His mercy, God does not give us punishment we, we deserve, namely hell. 
While in His grace, God gives us the gift we do not deserve, like heaven. I love how it differentiates those two things. What it means to be merciful, what it means to be gracious. What does it mean to be slow to anger? This is, this is so good for us. It means that God is patient. It means that he, he sees us in this journey and he understands this, this working of sanctification or the working of change that the Holy Spirit is doing in us. I, I, I know that. I look at my life and I'm like, you know, there's times and seasons that I'm in and I'm like, God, how long am I going to have to struggle with this thought pattern? It's not healthy. It's sinful. It's wrong. How long? How long, God, am I going to have to, to really try and take my thoughts captive and bring them into obedience to Christ? Lord, when are you going to, when are you going to just, you know, do that, that awesome work where you just reach into my brain and pull that out and, and I start to see a real change in my life? God is up there and he's, he is patient. He's not angry. He says he's slow to anger. And he understands this, this journey that we're on with him. And he has purpose in it. Isn't it good to know that? That, that he has purpose in our struggle. That he has purpose in our pain. And he has, he has purpose in these seasons that we work through in our lives. God is in it. God is in it all the time. What does it mean to be abounding in steadfast love? Now, notice that it doesn't say that God has steadfast love, right? That'd be simple, that'd be clear, that'd be good. God has steadfast love, Woohoo! That's not what it says. It says God is abounding in steadfast love. That, I mean, abounding, I mean, it's overflowing. I mean, it just, it just permeates off who he is. He's all about it. It's just, that's just everywhere with him. This stead, slow to anger and steadfast love. He's solid. He's grounded. When he says he loves you, he loves you. It's no joke. It is forever. It is on you. It is about you. It is God is in it. Nothing will move him from it. That's really, really good news. God is, God's love is not flighty or fair-weathered. He's not easily swayed. He is purposeful and righteous in his love. He's not a fair-weather fan. Do we have any Browns fans here? See, you know what I'm talking about. Any Cavs fans? You get it, right? You get it. If you can admit to being a fan right now, you have steadfast love. There you go. Now, I really, seriously, I want us to take a moment and soak that in. All of those things. His mercy his grace, that he's slow to anger, that he's abounding in steadfast love for you, for you and for me. This is personal. This, this isn't just some idea, ideology that is, is outside of us, that is, you know, out here in the middle of nowhere. This is personal. This is for you. He just, it's not just, that's who he is for you right now. That's who God is. What is it that, 
that we deserve. What is it that you deserve? But God gives you something good instead. Where in your life has God withheld judgment and given mercy? I couldn't help but bawl my eyes out as I wrote this, this section. Because God is merciful. And if you know Jesus, you know mercy. If you know Jesus, you know grace. If you know Jesus, you know someone who's slow to anger. And if you know Jesus, you know abounding, steadfast love. Because he's the faithful one in this relationship. And over 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 again, he's going to show you his faithfulness. When you're questioning and when you're wondering and when you're hurting and when you're mad and like Jonah shaking your fist at him, he's going to look at you in his steadfast love and he's going to say, come on, buddy, come on. I've got something really good for you. You don't see it right now, but I'm going to help you right now. He meets us in these moments of rebellion and pain and hurt. And he just says, this is who I am. I love you. Man, I got good things for you. And I know it hurts. And I know the tears that are shed. But there's purpose. And there's hope because of Jesus Christ. Hmm. All right. I really wanted us to wrap our minds around this piece because these next two sections of Scripture and these next two points we're going to talk about, I think, limits our, our, our ideas and our minds and our, our sight of those things. So I really wanted us to, to spend some time there. The second fill-in in your notes is this. Pride blinds us and hardens us to the compassion of God. Let's look at this and read this again in verse 3. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me. For it is better for me to die than to live. That's where Jonah was. God accomplishes his will. He shows this amazing mercy, compassion, grace, the slow to anger, the steadfast love. And Jonah wants to die. Just kill me now. I knew you'd do that. I knew you were merciful. Just kill me now. How did he get there? How do, how do we get there? To where we would look at God's grace, we would look at his compassion for someone else, and we'd just be like, whatever. If that guy's going to heaven, I don't want to go. Ooh. What do you mean I have to forgive them? <laughs> I don't think so. That's unforgivable. How do we get there? Pride blinds and hardens us to the compassion of God. It's easy to appreciate God's compassion when it's for me. In my time of need, but we can find ourselves not appreciating it when I have to forgive my enemy. When I see God's grace and mercy and compassion for my enemy. What is what about this? Like God is all these things, gracious, merciful, compassionate, all these things for America, but not Iraq. God is all these things towards Christians, but not Muslims. God's all these things for me, but not for that person who's defaming me. 
Look at this. In Jonah chapter 2, verses 6 through 9, Jonah's hope, get this, his hope is the steadfast love of the Lord. But here in chapter 4, he hates it enough to want to die. Here's a, here's a couple of things I think we have to wrap our minds around if we don't want to end up where Jonah is. I think it's really important for us. First of all, I think we need to have a correct biblical view of sin. I, I, I think so oftentimes we can look at our sin and look at the sins of others and create this really unhealthy grading scale of sin. Like, I told a little white lie, so that's a 0.5 on the 1 to 10 scale. But that person just put all of my sin out on Facebook, so they're at an 8. Right? Or I, I, I may have done this, and it's a 3 on the sin scale, but that person is a murderer, so they're a 10. You know, murder's 10, and white lies is 1. Right? That's, that's not God's view of sin. You see, God's view of sin is that all sin, no matter the white lie or murder, all sin separates us from God. Jesus didn't come to die just for murderers. Jesus didn't come to die just for adulterers. Jesus came to die for white liars. All of them, all sin creates this divide and separation from a holy and perfect God. I think that's where we get it mixed up. We're not holy and perfect, and God is holy and perfect. And when he sees sin, he sees all sin for what it is. Horrific separating all of it we see sin and, and you know we, we look at our lives and then we just watch the newest netflix show and say i'm not as bad as them i must be all right or the the newest sitcom and well at least i'm not doing that at least i'm better than breaking bad right never even watched it but i know like he's a bad guy or something because it says breaking bad i guess If that didn't work, I don't know, because <laughs> I haven't watched the show. No, but we do that, right? We, we, lo we love to compare, because we feel so good. Because I feel really bad about my sin, right? Until I see that guy, and then I'm like, I'm okay. I'm okay. I don't need to repent. He, he really needs to repent. Oh, man. You can go down a really, really bad path. Jonah's sitting there going, are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? Look at those sinful, sick people. I'll never forget it. I was um, in Dayton, where we grew up and were from, and I was a pastor in Dayton, Ohio, for a while. And I was meeting with an inner city pastor at a denominational church and, um, in a really rough part of town where we were trying to do some outreach. And we're, I'm meeting with this pastor to try and partner with this church to reach his community. And he was at, I forget what denomination it was, but they had a lot of older people in their church that had kind of moved out of the downtown area but would drive back to the church and be a part of that congregation. And I shared with him, I said, we really want to do some outreach here and reach the community. And he goes, oh, like we would ever talk to those charlatans. Seriously. I was like, charlatan? I had to get my dictionary. I was like, charlatan. What in the world? Like, he literally said that. <laughs> you know, the church to them had just become some, some club. 
that separated them out from all the bad people. Right? They had this so such a distorted view of sin that they had created a culture and good people's club that excluded everyone Jesus wants to reach with the good news of Jesus Christ. We can't fall into that trap that God's mercy for me... Here's, here it is. Think back to the moment that Jesus met you in your brokenness. Think back to the moment before you were a Christian that Jesus revealed himself to you and you were just broken by your sin, drawn to your Savior, and thankful for such beautiful forgiveness. Think about the time when you were were walking in this journey in relationship with God, but you fell into sin. And by some miracle, by some work of God, God came into your brokenness, revealed that to you, and saved you from that. That's what God wants to give to the 200,000 people we're trying to reach. But if we get caught up in this comparison and this grading scale and these other things, we could go to a point where we're just patting ourselves on the back. The grace and mercies of God don't mean much to somebody who doesn't think they need it. But the grace and mercies of God are priceless to those who know they are desperate for it. And I just want you to know, you are desperate for it. I am desperate for it. We rely on his mercy and grace every day. That's why his word says his mercies are new every morning. Because he knew we'd need new mercies every morning. Isn't that good that God knows that about us? He's not up there shocked when we make mistakes. He's like, oh my gosh, I can't believe Matt did that. What am I going to do? My plan's just busted. Matt, you really did it this time. Could you imagine God being like that? What a mess. He's not. He's not. I'm not even paying attention to time. I better hurry up here. Little rabbit trails. Let's move forward. Um, let's pick it up in verse 10, and then I'll give you point number three. And the Lord said, You pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. And, you should, and should not I pity Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left, and also much cattle? I love how he throws the cattle in there. You don't value the people. Well, would you, is it okay if I save the cattle? You know, the third one, third thing I think we need to watch out for, or the second thing we should watch out for, is that we can become complacent with God's grace. We fail to embrace the compassion of God for others because we fail to understand full, let me say it this way, we fail to fully understand the implication for God's grace for us. Are you tracking with me on that? You following with me? Let me say it again. We fail to embrace the compassion of God for others because we fail to fully understand its implications for me. If we really understand the reality of God's compassion for us, 
and what he has done and is doing in and through us, the magnitude of God's love, mercy, and grace. If we digest that truth, we soak in that truth, if we really just let it soak into us and rest in that, that truth moves us and motivates us to share that with others. I can't believe that God saved me. This unwarranted, unmerited grace invaded my life when I was at my worst, and I was blind. You did a work that I didn't even know I needed. That's what God does. I believe we are meant to live pursuing that understanding every day, that God wants to be in relationship with us, and in so doing, be revealing more and more of himself, his greatness, his mercy, his grace, compassion, and will, and power, and beauty, and glory, and lordship every day, every hour, and every minute. When we live there, when we live there, in that mindset and in that relationship, we won't lose sight of the goodness of God. We won't lose motivation to the mission that he's given us. When we live there, let me say it this way. We fail to share the gospel because we fail to comprehend its massive implication for us. This is a hard one because I, I truly believe it takes the work of God to reveal this to us in order for us to really understand it. There's this, there's this supernatural thing that only God can do. And we are dependent on him to open our eyes and reveal this, this deeper thing, this amazing thing that God has done in grace and mercy for us personally. You see, God wants to take what we sometimes view as a, an idea or ideology outside of us, apart from us, distant from us, maybe just a book, and he wants to personalize it. Jesus died for the sins of the world, yes. And Jesus died for the sins of Matt, yes. It's, we, it's, so often we get to that point where we just categorize it and separate it, and it becomes impersonal. And then we wonder why our Christian journey feels stagnant or stale or, or drab. It's because we've lost connection with with what God's grace in the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, really is for us. We lose sight of, of, of eternity. We start thinking in, in temporary things. We, we have a tendency to forget that, that hell's a real place of eternal separation and suffering apart from a real God. And that heaven's a real place where we will live in paradise and, and be in right relationship with our God and, and not have any temptation and not have any sin to suffer with anymore. That all suffering will be gone and all of this, this stuff that we've had to deal with will be gone. When I think about it in that way, 
I want to go to my neighbor and tell him that Jesus loves him. I want to go to him and say that God sent him to save. Not to condemn him, but to save him. We forget these things and we get caught up in this, the, the other things that, that are so temporary. Hmm. A good practice for us and how we can guard our hearts against this, and I think this is something we should do, is that every day in our quiet time when we open up His Word, when we're praying, when we're talking to our spouse or to our kids, that we would be intentional and say, God, would you reveal to me the real lasting implications of your grace and mercy on my life? And help me live out of that revelation today. Let's not get caught up in these temporary things, but get caught up in eternal things that God will use to motivate us and change us and purpose us for his kingdom. I went over time just a little bit. There's more to my sermon, so I want to share. It is good. I want to share it. Sorry. Jesse, you're probably back there already. There's another, there's another story, so I'll make this quick. There's another story in Scripture about somebody who despised the grace and mercy of God. All right, kudos for somebody who can point it out. It's a New Testament story, and this person was mad that, that there was grace and mercy towards someone else. Can anybody remember it? Who said a prodigal son? Yeah, Thomas was good too. Prodigal son was the one I was thinking of. Here's this story about these, these two brothers. And one of the brothers goes to his dad, and he's like, just give me my inheritance now, man. I want to live life. <laughs> okay, it's a paraphrase, so. But he goes to his dad, and he, he takes his inheritance early, and he goes and spends it on prostitutes, and he, he spends it on all types of worldly sinful things, and he ends up broke, right? And he can't find a job. He, he finds himself eating out of a hog trough, like, like he's at the lowest of the low, I mean, hor just horrible circumstances. And he goes, man, even my dad's servants do better than this. I'm going back home. I'll just work as a servant, and I'll have a better life off than this. He goes home. He's walking down the road. He's down. He can see his, his house down the road. He sees his dad. His dad's just standing there waiting for him. He sees his son coming down the road. The dad just like runs to him. He's like, my son, my son, you've come home. And he, does, he throws this huge party. He kills the fattened calf. That's like an old, a barbecue, right? Has this huge barbecue. We're talking ribs. We're talking brisket. We're talking burnt ends. I mean, it's the good stuff, right? And he has this huge party. Now, the older brother that watched all this go down, he's out and he's working. He's coming home. And he hears this huge party. He goes to one of the servants. He goes, what in the world is going on? Are we having a party? Didn't tell me. Serving goes, well, your, your brother who was gone has come home. Your, your father has killed the fatted calf, and, and we're having a huge party. We're just so thankful that he's returned. The older brother's like, what? You mean he takes his inheritance, spends it on prostitutes. He's, you know, out eating with the pigs, and we're going to celebrate? We're going to celebrate that he had a change of heart, that he came back? Dad, you're going to throw a party? You should have kicked him to the curb. He has this, like, nasty exchange with his dad. And there's this thing his dad says to him that I, that I think this is the reality of the gospel of Jesus Christ for you and me. Every, this is what the father says, everything I have is yours. 
What? When you give your life to Christ, everything is yours. Hope, grace, mercy, a future, an eternity, a, a heavenly home. Everything that God has is yours. If we actually really believed that, if we actually comprehended that and understood what that fully meant, our lives would look different. We would be a different people because we're living as sons and daughters of the king. And he holds back nothing. Within this life, we're not fighting for victory. I mean, I know it feels that we're like, ah, I just need, we are fighting from victory. It's already been won. All of it, everything I have is yours. I love that, the picture that that paints. I think Jonah missed it. He didn't understand, he didn't comprehend the gravity of his situation and the grace and mercy of God, the steadfast love and slow to anger of God for him. And the older brother definitely didn't get it. He was down there just working and working his tail off for something when he already owned it. And we go there all the time. Everything he has is yours. Isn't that good news? You don't have to earn it. You don't have to check off all the boxes. It's done. Jesus said it. It is finished. Now we just live in that victory. That's good news. I think that's where Jonah missed it. I think that's where the older brother missed it. Let's not miss it. Let's live purposefully on mission for him. Amen? Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. And Lord, we see the dependency we have on you in this. So Father, we, we pray that as we live this life, that you would remind us of the gravity of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news of Jesus, what it means for me personally. What does it mean for us eternally, God? Lord, that that would motivate us to live out victory, to live out your truth, to share your truth with our neighbors, with our friends, with, with everyone that you've put in our circle of responsibility. Make us a bold people. Change us for your glory, for your kingdom, and for our good as we submit to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. Well, um, since I went so far over, we're going to cut the last song. And just for a reminder for you, uh, we do have pizza with the pastor today. Uh, we're going to be meeting in room D2. If, um, if you'd like to come, and it's just a time for us to hang out, grab some lunch, and just talk. So if you're interested in doing that, feel free to come. There are signups, but um, there's plenty of pizza usually. So I'd invite you to come to that. It's in room D2, out these doors, and kind of straight to the right, and you'll see it. But um, we also have donuts and coffee and some fruit and some, some stuff in the commons. We'd love to see you out there. It's a time where we can just get together and talk and, and uh, have a donut together. So we will see you guys in the commons. Thanks for coming. And more to come on the building coming up really soon. So exciting stuff. God bless you guys.